This episode is brought to you by Vin Italy International Academy, the toughest Italian wine program. 1,000 candidates have produced 262 Italian wine ambassadors to date. Next courses in Hong Kong, Russia, New York, and Verona. Think you make the cut? Apply now at vinitalyinternational.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Hello, everybody. My name is Stevie Kim, and this is the Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. And today we are here with Diego Corradi and Rob Mella. I'm so excited about this session today. I just wanted to say something. First of all, this is called the Ambassadors Corner because this is where the ambassadors, Italian wine ambassadors, um, get a chance to interview their favorite producer today for example rob miller with diego caradi from pra i just wanted to give a shout out to our via community at large because we've started this we've started the ambassador's corner first of all i started this um, italian wine club in february so not too long ago and then in july we started to do the ambassador's corner mostly because i wanted to give more time more i guess kind of you know i always have this kind a romantic idea of you know being the matchmaker bridging the gap between Italian wine producers and and the rest of the world so I thought why not have it represented by the Italian wine ambassadors at large hello everybody and my name started, is Stevie Kim um, in July and this is Cynthia um, Chaplin one of our own um, interviewing Alberto Tasca and now we are at the 27th episode of the uh, Ambassador's Corner. So kudos to every single one of you uh, who has participated as the, the interviewee and as well as the, all the producers. In fact, you know, thanks to you guys, um, Italian Wine Podcast, as you know, this gets replayed, although there are just few of us here today, it gets replayed on the Italian Wine Podcast. And it's been hugely successful, so successful that last year, First of all, if, you, if I can give you some context, in 2017, we've started the Italian Wine Podcast, of course, with Monty Walden, and we had 23,000 listens in the entire year. And last year, fast forward, you know, four years, and we reached more than 1 million listens just on SoundCloud. So this is really, really um, because everybody has been very incredibly supportive. And in fact, the top 10 listens for last year was the, number one was the, it was another clubhouse session I did with for the Japan wine market, but with one of our ambassadors, Roddy Rotner from Japan. And then um, the second most listened was Jill Gordon-Smith with Rocco Toscani. And then Cynthia Chaplin, number five, with Ilaria Takis. Number six, again, another ambassador, Gianluca Queroli, Stefano Chiallo. Number seven, Jody Hallman with Enrico de la Piana. And, and then one of our ambassadors on The Voices, Rebecca Lawrence, um, interviewed Victoria Cheche. So uh, she's also known as, I love her handle, Slutty Spaghetti. I love I love that she's she has a sense of humor. Anyway, so I just wanted to give a shout out to the Via community because it's it it really is a journey, and um, I really appreciate that everyone has contributed in their way. Okay, so I'll shut up now. Let's start this. I'd like to introduce uh, Rob Miller. Ciao, Rob. Ciao, Stevie. It's good. Where to hear are your you voice. now? Where are you? I'm, I'm still the same part of the world, just outside of Toronto and Canada. And Kitchener Waterloo is the town. Is it freezing? It, <laughs> you know, it's a balmy minus twelve degrees right now. It's uh, the warmest it's been here in a few weeks. So, did yes, you say minus twenty? Uh, Minus 12, minus 12. But, but that is that Celsius? 20. That's Celsius, correct. Holy crap. That's yeah. like Russia. 
That's like Siberia. <laughs> is that is that you'll have to uh, maybe bring Via over here in a in a summer month, perhaps? Yeah, it, it, maybe. It's cold here. It's cold here in the winter. So, Rob, it says here that you've been working over twenty five years in the beverage industry. That makes you sound really old. Yeah, you know, and I I have to uh, agree with that. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a lot older than I act. How's that? <laughs> okay. So, of course, you were uh, one of the top sommeliers, and I still remember when you were acclimated as the v- Vinatilly International Academy. Uh, you passed the exam, and you nearly killed me because I you. Think- I think we had a little private dance on stage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will always forever remember Rob Miller. So um, now, what are you up to now? Doing a, a number of things. I'm I'm teaching at the local college. I'm working with a with a wine importer still, a company that I call the. What Bion are you Agency. teaching? Uh, wine and food pairing. Uh, it's four separate courses, just uh, two days a week. So it's a it's a lot of fun. It's very exciting. It's very interesting to engage with younger wine drinkers or people as they're just starting into wine. I know myself at that age, I definitely wasn't uh, consuming wine. It wasn't my beverage of choice. So it's great to be able to show them what's what potential there is and bring them over to our side of the beverage industry. But how, how old are they? Are they college students? College students, yes. So 19, 20. In fact, we, we do have uh, a few students that uh, are only 18, so not even old enough to, to drink here in Ontario, but uh, they still participate. And they're, they're still quite eager to learn. Most of them are, are culinary students, so they've got uh, an interest and enthusiasm for the hospitality and restaurant industry. So you uh, work for the Vine Agency, which is an importer and a distributor, right? What kind of wines do you import? Correct. We work with, uh, you know, we, we work with about 70 wineries around the world, primarily focused on California, France, and Italy. In fact, Italy makes up about just uh, probably over a third of our portfolio, which is super exciting. In fact, it's it's what, uh, you know, inspired me to to head over and take the the VIA program way back so what, in So uh, give me some of the, some of the um, wineries from Italy. From Italy, we've got uh, we work with uh, with Verna uh, in Barolo. We work with uh, Vita Romans as an example. Uh, we work with Pra uh, with Diego and Graziano. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, work with uh, Palm, you know, going further south. You know, uh, Roccafiori in Umbria. Uh, we work with uh, let's see, Bishi in Verde uh, in Verdicchio. Palmento Costanza. You guys, uh, I know we visited there. Uh, on the uh, oh my god! What a beautiful, beautiful estate. The go- it's a gorgeous place. We're we're super super lucky to work with them. The wines are incredible as well. Yes, absolutely. We love that. We love that place. And what about this um, new agency? It's it's something of your own. It's a new initiative. Road it is wine imports. What is that all about? So the road is uh, my uh, my business partner Megan Ridgeway and I uh, just started that. You know, one of the there have been some silver linings since the pandemic began here in Ontario, and some of it has been uh, some loosening around the rules to importing wines. Part of the uh, we do work under a uh, you know the the LCBO the the, the AGCO or uh, the government uh, imposed retail uh, distribution that all wines come into the province through. So uh, before that was it was fairly prohibitive for new importers to start. Uh, but they've uh, they've made it a little bit easier for us to do so. So we're looking at and working with wineries uh, under kind of two main umbrellas. The first is wineries that are very eco-conscious, uh, you know, organics plus, whether that's biodynamic, whether that's regeneratively farm producers. We're also looking at working with, uh, you know, and bringing some diversity into our industry. Uh, I mean, you had you had mentioned it earlier. You know, the, our industry is a lot of old white guys like myself. The uh, the majority of our uh, wineries that we're working with are either female owned. Uh, we have a couple of LGBTQ producers. Uh, we're currently working with the only uh, Native American owned winery uh, that actually uh, has a you know a member of their tribe that makes the wines. You know, we're working with a, a Japanese couple that's farming biodynamically in New Zealand, trying to bring a little bit more uh, a little bit more diversity to the spectrum. 
Okay, great. And by the way, I just want to plug um, Rob Miller's interview. He, he was interviewed by Cynthia Chaplin recently, and that's a recent episode. So um, check that out if you guys get a chance. So let's move on to today's call. Um, so Robert, we always ask why, uh, now I realize, of course, you import um, Pra, but why did you select Diego Corradi as your favorite producer? Yeah, that's a you know it's a great question, and you know when I one of the it wasn't my first Italian focused uh, or post Italian wine focused trip, but uh, the one leading right up to um, my time at uh, at Via, or my first time at Via, uh, I had stopped in at uh, at Pro just a couple of days before, and uh, Diego had set it up for me. Um, we had uh, there had been a, a bit of a miscommunication, and I had showed up on a Sunday, uh, which was the the wrong day which was fine graziano was super uh, gracious um unfortunately uh his uh, his english is as good as my italian uh so it was a lot of head nodding at the time but uh, uh diego's partner in crime at the winery valentino was able to come by and uh we had, we had just such a lovely time and i'd always been a fan of pra since that time, you know, Diego and I have, uh, have spent a number of times together, whether it's in uh, Verona, whether it was out in, uh, in Alba, as well as when he's uh, been able to visit us here in Toronto. So uh, not only do I like the wines and love the wines, but, you know, I look at, uh, I consider Diego a friend as well. So I thought it'd be great to, to chat with him and to catch up and see what he's been up to over the last couple of years. Great. I'm looking forward to the conversation. And so what should we expect in terms of learning objectives from, from your call today with Diego today? Because, you know, we well, like to get a little geeky here at VIA, right? <laughs> of course we do. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, people that aren't familiar with the winery, uh, and as uh, I do believe many will be, it's, uh, it is however on the kind of smaller side of the production spectrum, yet incredibly high, uh, high quality. So I'm hoping that people can learn a little bit about who they are and what they do. Um, and also just be introduced to the fact that they're, they're making some stunning uh, red wines as well. So I think that'll be a key part of the uh, a key part of the conversation as well as uh, some of the new projects they're working on. Okay, so it works like this. I usually now shut up, which is, you know, I, I know, I know, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to believe, but I'm going to now give the floor to you. And so you take it away and I'll come back later if there's time for Q&A in the end. Okay, ciao, ciao ragazzi. Uh, thanks, Stevie. That was great. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, well, welcome, everyone. Thanks for those that uh, that did tune in. Uh, I know we're at different time zones around the world. It's kind of uh, middle of the day here. I'm just outside of Toronto and Canada, as I said. Uh, and, you know, it's far enough into the day that I thought, you know, I'm going to pour myself a glass of wine to go alongside the, the rest of the afternoon. So thank you uh, for joining us. And uh, I look forward to chatting with, for those of you that haven't met Diego before, Diego is the export manager uh, of uh, Azienda Agricola Graziano Pra. Uh, you've probably seen him if you've been to, uh, you know, you have attended Benidli. If you've been to Opera Wine, they are uh, a mainstay there as well. And Diego's always there, brightly smiling and uh, introducing and pouring the, the fantastic wines that he represents. So welcome, Diego. It's great to hear your voice again. Ciao, Rob. Ciao. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, thank you. And thank you for accepting the invitation. That would have been worse had you said, you said no. So uh, It's okay. It's, you know, it's 8 p.m. I'm quite angry, but it's okay. I can wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you usually don't eat dinner until 9 or 10 o'clock over there anyways. No, right? I, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Let's, okay, let's move it like that. No, that's fine. <laughs> Of no. course, it's great to, to talk to you. Finally, it's been a while. So no, definitely. Thank you for, for having me. Yeah, and I hope that we get to uh, we get to catch up in person sooner than later this year. But we'll see how definitely. things uh, how definitely. things play out. So you joined you joined uh, Graziano Pro right out of university. You took a you spent what a, a year in Australia after that, and then came back. With, uh, had you did you have aspirations to work in the wine industry while you were in school, or what was your what was wine? Uh, what part of your life was that growing up? 
Okay, well, let's say, first of all, I, well, I grew up in Stallavena, which is a small town in uh, Valpantena. So I'm uh, originally from Verona. My family is from here. And Valpantena is just next to Valpolicella. So uh, let's say that uh, in my small town, the, the main business was more, was more you know, mar marble industries. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, let's say I was close also to Bertani and, of course, in the middle of the wine culture. Um, moreover, then I actually did my studies were, were more about uh, classic studies in the high school uh, and then uh, languages and, and commerce. Uh, I got a degree and, uh, and as you said, I, I spent a year in Australia. So at that time, honestly, I didn't really know yet what, you know, what to do. And it was not really the economy I was talking about, you know, 2009, 2010 was uh, not as good. And, and of course, one of the things that was really, I, I really wanted to do is well, like an, an experience abroad. So I, I spent a year in Australia working in restaurants, backpacking, uh, mostly working in Sydney and then moving to Perth on the other side. So, uh, I stayed there for a few months. Uh, I had more, you know, I, at that time, you know, I was, <laughs> Australia was really expensive, still is actually. So, uh, I had the chance also to travel a bit and I traveled also in, uh, I went to, I remember really very well my travel to, uh, Margaret River, uh, in the Southern part of, uh, West Australia. So I, in, and in that occasion, I visited actually Lewin State. So I was not really into wine at the time. So uh, it was uh, actually amazing. Actually, I used to, you know, to. Uh, I remember driving in the forest, and then uh, right after the forest, uh, the vineyards started and the beautiful winery. Uh, so when I I came back, I was uh, definitely I studied really to. Uh, to search and to look for a job in in the wine industry, and let's say that I I basically I started I mean sending just a CV. You know, I went to the Vinitaly website and I took just the the names of uh, some wineries. So and I started to send like CVs, starting of course from my area to Suave. And uh, yeah, I did some interviews, I met some people, but uh, you know, it was 2011, so it's, it's a while ago. Uh, and uh, I got lucky that at that time, uh, a girl, a German girl called me. Uh, so I did an interview at uh, Graziano because at the Prague winery, because at that time, actually uh, there was a German girl working there and uh and she was the one actually taking care about almost everything at the winery talking about you know office stuff uh, uh invoice uh, uh customers and and i realized that you know i i said okay you know i i'm gonna start and i'm looking forward you know and and i realized after one month that she was leaving within a two months uh, so, uh, it was, everything was new to me. I was, it was actually my, uh, first really, you know, job here in Italy, you know, proper job. And, uh, and since there, basically I've never left, uh, Graziano really after one month, I was in China for the first tour of the Trebicchieri and, you know, I, and it's been already 11 years almost. So yeah, long, long time, long time. And and so let's say that it was a matter of also luck. Uh, but uh, at the same time, you know, I had the chance in 10 years also to, um, to experience a little bit of everything that is happening, that is going on uh, at a family-run company from, you know, from the administration also, you know, since uh, things going on in the vineyards, in the cellar. So that definitely helped also to build my my background. Okay. So I definitely owe a lot to, to Graziano that also gave me the chance, you know, to study. I mean, yeah, and learning having that opportunity to work with someone as as respected as him is, uh, you know, I mean, that's just a, that's such a, a fantastic uh, door opening for you, especially coming 
coming into the industry and coming right out of college uh, and the fact that you're still here or you're still with them, you know, going into 11 yeah. years later says quite a bit. So you're, I mean, your role is export manager, but you, I know you wear a lot more hats than that. What, uh, what else, you know, what would your, a normal week look like for you? <laughs> it's a really dynamic job. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, uh, I mean uh, really the first month after this girl left, it was yeah, like, uh, I was freaking out because uh, really I was like uh, sending samples, uh, uh, making, you know, uh, transport documents, invoices, talking to all our customers because uh, still at that time, I mean, we were exporting, you know, 85% uh, of the production. So dealing with uh, uh, 20 to 30 markets and, you know, today are 45, but, uh, you know, over the years, then, um, of course, we hired more people. Now we are in four uh people in the office so there's uh, someone taking care of the administration just uh, invoicing uh documents some um, someone taking care of the social communication you know welcome people at the winery and uh, so today let's say that we my colleague valentina i take care of uh, um of the of our customers so extra european markets so that's why i say it's easier to say export manager let's say and this take, uh, let's say, 50% of my time. Uh, the rest is, uh, you know, I, I work really uh, side by side, on the side of, with Graziano every day. So we, of course, we, if we investments, you know, if we have to buy new machineries, if we have to buy some new vineyards, um, hiring people, uh, suppliers, um, so it's kind of, you know, supervision of the office and, and general, uh, and yeah, export manager, <laughs> I would say, but, uh, <laughs> uh, it's really, you know, I do like, uh, 50 different things at the office every day. So it's uh, very hard to say, you know, I plan uh, battlings. So this is what I'm doing this period. I mean, 2022 started like uh, crazy, uh, of course, because we also had our COVID uh, issues. And uh, now we have this, uh, you know, supplying issues, uh, logistic issues, uh, and uh, we are starting and custom. Actually, the markets are starting as well. Uh, so in the very start, uh, January looked a little bit slow, but now everything is, you know, uh, it's starting at the same time. So we, uh, what I do is basically in these days is uh, talking to our customers and uh, managing also with especially with supplies uh the previous bottlings of the new vintages coming oh great well, that's exciting yes it's uh it's somewhat similar here in ontario in fact we're we're still in the midst of a uh, a moderate lockdown restaurants have been closed for the month but are, are finally reopening uh on monday so yeah it's a great. slow start slow start to the month but it's a, a promising outlook to Hopefully, the spring and onwards, we'll see. It's so hard to predict, uh, you know, more than a month out these days. Yeah, the world, world changing as it is. But, um, and I guess maybe we should we should back up a little bit and talk a little bit about the winery now. Uh, Graziano started. He started the winery back in the the nineteen eighties, and uh, the family was was growing for a while. Both his father and grandfather were involved, if I'm correct. Uh, yeah, his father, grandfather, and the previous generation were more involved in the, the uh, grapes growing. Uh, so let's say that the Pra is a very, you know, first of all, Pra is in our dialect, uh, means, uh, you know, in Italian is like Prato, is a dialect word, we say Pra. Uh, it's like, uh, it means like a garden field. So it's uh, a family probably also involved in, in agriculture for generations. And especially from the, in the town is very popular in the town of Monteforte d'Alpone. So we are in the heart of the Suave area uh, next to the, the Classico Hills. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the previous generation used to farm vineyards like most of the families still do today. Uh, but like, uh, you know, in the 60s, in the 70s, that was the main business um, in the area. Uh, consider that, you know, the, the family, uh, Graziano is the third brother uh, and uh, like a family, 
used to sustain itself at the time with, uh, let's say, you know, two, three actors, you know, that could uh, uh, pay the bills. And um, and so, you know, his father, his grandfather, they used to sell grapes, uh, Garganega, especially to mainly to bottling companies. Uh, so consider, yeah, in Suave, let's say that uh, the last century, uh, especially till the 80s, was mostly about, you know, cooperatives and uh, bottling companies. And uh, and uh, his the, the two brother of Graziano, since uh, the father unfortunately passed away when Graziano was very young, uh, were already involved in uh, in the grape growing. So Graziano decided to uh, to make the next step and start studying enology uh, in Conegliano. That was like the most important you know school of uh, uh, enologists in uh, Treviso at that time. And uh, that was in the 70s. Uh, uh, right after school, he decided, you know, to start making his own wine. And that was also because also of a necessity at that time. And uh, in 1983, precisely, is the first uh, bottle of Suave that he made. So he started from the family vineyards with uh, his brother, Sergio, in the very start, taking care of uh, the vineyards. And he was taking care of, uh, of the wine. And uh, and the 80s is a very interesting period, I think, uh, in Italy, I will say, because uh, at that time, you know, we we had the, during the 80s also the methanol scandal. Uh, at that time, you know, uh, some producers start focusing really on the quality uh, of the wines. Uh, um, you know, at that time, the, the high quality wine was just a French wine in the 80s. Uh, Graziano... Uh, he he says, you know, he uh, that he didn't realize he was part also of, of a new generation of uh, winemakers. Uh, he at that time uh, Veronelli was the only guy wine guide, uh, the only important let's say wine guide, uh, the the first to start giving ratings, and uh, but at the same time also slow food was uh, was starting, and Graziano uh, was part of this group of guy of. Uh, uh, of slow food that were meeting in restaurants, talking about you know food quality. People had really started was starting to had the necessity also to focus to start focusing on the quality of uh, what they were drinking and eating. And from here, actually, the let's say that the three uh, you know the three words also you know from slow food that are part still today of our philosophy that are you know the beauty, the right, and the clean. So. Uh, food like wine to be, uh, of course, clean, so sustainable, right? So, of course, that uh, you also have to take care of the people that are involved at the company and the beauty, because beauty is also one of our main part of our philosophy. It's the beauty of uh, the place where you work, uh, the beauty, uh, of course, the, the beauty of the wine. I mean, the wine has to be good also. And uh, also taking care of uh, of the vineyards, but also of the area that uh, where you work. And uh, this is something that uh, uh, Graziano. I mean, you came to the winery, you see how Graziano. You know, uh, you know, he spent the whole day, especially springtime, summertime. I mean, taking care of uh, flowers. We plant trees. Uh, we try, you know, always to to be in a very uh, let's say beautiful envir environment. Mm -hmm. okay. So from there on, uh, Graziano, you know, that started his uh, story. I mean, uh, with the Suave, uh, starting from the hills of Suave, uh, so the classical region, uh, and focusing especially on the on the local varietal, Garganega and Trebbiano di Suave. But let's say that uh, we make four Suaves today, and uh, the main part of, uh, uh, actually three of them are 100% uh, Garganega. Uh, yes. And this is uh, where Graziano, of course, was uh, focusing on uh, since uh, the very beginning, uh, going the hills, decreasing the yield production, because Garganega can be also a very generous varietal. If you farm Garganega in the flatland uh, on a rich soil, it can really give also uh, quite big amount. Uh, so um, on, the, on the hills in the Classico, on a volcanic, a uh, little bit poorer soil, the the production is much less, but the quality and the, and the potential is uh, is much greater.
Yeah, very much so. And I think it's it's only in the Monte Grande where you include a little bit of Trebbiano di Suave, and if I'm correct, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Trebbiano di Suave is the second local varietal and uh, uh, it's uh, very traditional. I mean, uh, the Suave traditionally, there was only like a small percentage of Trebbiano di Suave, which is the same DNA, as you know, of uh, Verdicchio. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, we don't know if uh, we brought Verdicchio to market or maybe they brought it here. But uh, uh, traditionally, in the old times, uh, uh, farmers also used to, to put some ver uh, Verdicchio, Trebbiano di Suave vines, uh, you know, where, you know, maybe a Garganega vine was dying and they were substituting the, the vine with the, Verdic with the Trebbiano di Suave. So it was actually a little bit mixed in the vineyards. So you always had like uh, in the old times, so there was also sometimes this blend. Graziano planted the Trebbiano di Suave, especially on the hill of Monte Grande, which is one of the oldest vineyards from the family. Uh, and uh, one hectare of Trebbiano di Suave that we use and uh, is the, of course, the base of our single vineyard, uh, Monte Grande, that we started to make in, uh, in 1980s and 1988 precisely. Okay. Now you're you're mainly known as a white wine producing winery, but you make some absolutely uh, incredible. And uh, you know, I'm 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 definitely biased, but uh, I think one of the the best just straight Valpolicellas there is, uh, as well as a you know your your Rapassa and your um, Amarone del Valpolicella. When did the when was the move into red wine making, and what was the uh, the impetus to that? Yeah, that was uh, something that came uh, after, of course. Uh, um, so one of, you know, uh, Graziano was like, uh, um, you know, in the, we are talking about, you know, the 90s, end of the 90s, when uh, Graziano, one of the dreams of Graziano was also to approach to study to make uh, an Amarone. Uh, he, but he wanted to find also the, you know, the land and, that could better express his style uh, of Amarone. You know that uh, uh, our whites and our suaves are always very on the uh, fresher expression of the varietal. We don't do a lot of, you know, skin contacts or malolactic on the Garganega. We are always very, also the elegance is probably, you know, something that you can always find in our whites. So uh, that explains also something of Graziano's taste. Uh, he uh, wanted to approach Valpolicella, but to find also a land that could express his idea of Valpolicella. In the 90s, uh, the trend was uh, generally to make, you know, uh, very uh, large Amarones, very uh, big wines, um, that Graziano was not really into that. So he had the chance to buy uh, in 2001 this land called uh, Morandina, uh, that uh, is basically, you know, Valpolicella. We we found he found this land in the eastern part part of Valpolicella, so not in the classical. So the eastern part of Valpolicella, uh, Valdillasi, precisely, is uh, more a land of uh, you know. Uh, in the nineties, was like the newer Valpolicella, uh, land of uh, you know new producer that were growing. Uh, at that time, and uh, on Guyo training system, concentration, concentration. But uh, when he found this land, he found it uh, on the highest elevation, on uh, 500 meters above the sea level. So let's say uh, the eastern part of Alpolicella, Valdilas especially, is uh, colder than the Classico, and uh, we are on the limit, uh, let's say, of, uh, I will say, there for uh, the grape growing on 500 meters. And he planted there on a virgin soil uh, with a really big uh, part of limestone. Is basically all the area is uh, on limestone soil. He planted the traditional varietal, Corvina, Corvinone, Rondinella, and uh, Oseleta. And, uh, and uh, 2006 is basically the first vintage of our rest that... Uh, as you can see, our rights really focus not only on the on the fruit, but also on the other, um, you know, uh, the other characteristic that, that of uh, of our varietals Corvina and Corvinone, which is uh, the pepper, the spice, uh, that are also very uh, typical from our varietal, and uh, at this altitude uh, in this area are even more probably emphasized. So. 
Uh, it started with the style of Valpolicella that I would say were totally out of the trend. Um, so I'm talking about wines in a very dry style, um, lighter bodied, um, with a lot of, uh, you know, very clean, a lot of finesse, but uh, very spicy sometimes, a little bit green, uh, with uh, more than, you know, cherry is the typical fruit of Valpolicella when you taste our Valpolicella, especially, which is, uh, uh, I think, the one who, you know, the fresher expression of the place is, uh, you know, pepper and spice, uh, very spicy, sour cherry, red fruit. Uh, so sometimes even very far in that direction, you know. And, uh, and the scene, the previous vintages, honestly, was uh, really tough to sell, you know, that style of, uh, of reds uh, um, because, uh, you know, everyone was used to more, you know, more like uh, fruity, rounder wines. Uh, but uh, Graziano, at the same time, really wanted to, you know, he, he says that if he wanted to start, you know, in Valpolicella, at least he wanted to give also a terroir expression. So let's say that... Uh, uh, these wines really carry a definite, uh, a definite really uh, terroir uh, expression and identity. I would say. I think that's that's a great descriptor, and you know, it's it's amazing how ahead of the ahead of his time he was with that. You know, those are the the wines that are in fashion that are in in vogue right now. The lighter, lighter, fresher. Uh, more savory red wines you know that uh even now you know when i when i pour the valpolicella around or when people experience it for the first time uh they're pleasantly surprised by uh what a fresh vibrant energetic wine this is and uh it's it's just a, it's such an amazing lovely young wine to drink so of course we've had uh we've had two fairly challenging years behind us there there seems to be some light at the the end of the tunnel hopefully but what has been uh, what have been some of the biggest impacts on the winery in terms of uh sales external sales you had mentioned earlier that you know you're exporting about 85 percent. so i know there's been obvious yeah. uh, supply chain issues uh and of course you know tourism as well agro-tourism i know makes up a big part of it too so what have, what have been some of the biggest uh, challenges you've had to to face and how have you overcome them so uh well let's say 2020 and 21 were uh, let's say quite different for us uh of course 2020 when everything started was crazy as for everyone, you know, that we work uh, as we do with, uh, you know, all our, today we work in 45 markets, I would say, and all our importers are, you know, for the 95% are, you know, they are importer and distributor and they, we work with restaurants and uh, wine boutique or shops, but uh, not with the uh, large chains. So the only exception is uh, are the monopolies, uh, so like uh, north of Europe and of course Canadian monopolies as well um, there um, so that actually helped uh, let's say in terms of sales I mean because of course uh, the monopoly shops never stopped so um, they increased the sales there uh, on the other side of course uh, but uh, Let's say that we had a different moment during 2020. We really, uh, during the summer, we went much better. Um, and then let's say in the end of the year, we could barely pair the, the, the 2019. Uh, that was, uh, was a great result, honestly. Um, of course, uh, well, tourism, uh, I mean, we are in Monteforte del Pone. Monteforte del Pone is not really a touristic place. I mean, it's uh, you, you go to Monteforte del Pone if you want to visit the winery. So you need to know the winery. You have to go there. So that definitely was affected, tourism at the winery. Uh, but uh, still, I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, just uh, maybe a small part of our business still today is affected. I mean, we were... Uh, planning, uh, you know, to uh, also to open an agriturismo or to do, you know, something more and uh, in our vineyards, but uh, that is something or plans that we are skipping. Uh, so uh, let's say that 2020 was more a period like uh, everyone where we had the time, you know, to stop and uh, think 
about what we were doing. So um, it was a stop that helped us also to, to plan, uh, I think, our uh, the future somehow in terms of uh, working the vineyards, especially where we also started over the organic certification that we are already organic certified also a, a program with the biodiversity. Uh, that is something that is still going on in our vineyards. And um, so, yeah, that was, let's say, 2020. 2021, uh, I have to say that in February, everything restarted. And uh, it was, uh, in terms of sales, it was uh, like the greatest year ever, let's say, fortunately. And, uh, and also some very interesting new trends, uh, I would say. So I, I think something new that uh, uh, is starting and something that we actually are investing on is, uh, for example, uh, we are making stock uh, uh, for Suave, each vintage of our crews. And uh, we are starting seriously to make a business of selling verticals of uh, Suave. Uh, that is something that I think is going to be very interesting for the future of uh, the denomination over the over the UAG, of course, uh, and the new crew system. Well, that's uh, that's very interesting. And are you doing this right across? I mean, I've uh, I I always think of the the entry level, the auto suave, as being a more consume in the or consume in the first three to five years but the the monte grande almost uh, demands you know five plus years the uh you can make that uh, similar argument for the staforte as well if you can hold it that long are you looking to do this uh you know these verticals with uh in particular with particular uh, crews or uh right across the board well, honestly, honestly, all our wines have really, all the suaves uh, we are making really, we, we taste after years. Uh, of course, we have to, to, to make a decision and Monte one, uh, the, the most representative probably of our suaves. So we started making in 2014, especially, I mean, we have old libraries going back to the 90s, but uh, if we want to, you know, to start selling these wines, we started to build stock from 2014, uh, which actually is one, is one of the greatest vintage, actually, to uh, to taste uh, right, right now. And uh, I think for the future, just because it was a, a very interesting vintage in uh, an extreme vintage, but very interesting also for, for the future. Uh, so Monte Grande, definitely. Uh, Colle San Antonio, we are also doing a stock, especially for Max. So we do like uh, Manium. But uh, what we would like to show is actually just the, the auto. Um, so, for example, also during the, the next Opera Wine, we, we're going to show uh, not really a single vineyard days, but our auto uh, 2014. Screw cap, Stelvin looks what we use, and uh, and you really definitely see there the the, the AG potential of Garganega, which is uh, when it is made, the one is made properly, is uh, is amazing. Oh, that's uh, that's very interesting. And again, you know, my experience with auto is it, it's usually something I've consumed in its youth. I haven't been exposed to many older ones, so I look forward to to trying those. When do and just on a side question, when did you switch auto over to? Uh, Stelvin or screw cap enclosures from Corks. So the first vintage was 2009. Uh, so Graziano was uh, really into that. The thing is that on a side, you know, we, you know, as uh, I think most of the wineries, we we have been fighting, you know, against the cork issues for for all uh, uh, the history, all our story, history, let's say. <laughs> So from time to time, you, you have, uh, you know, some lot or some problem with some uh, cork, uh, some natural cork. So Graziano started with a small amount uh, with the screw cap. So where we started, actually, we, of course, he selected like the, the screw cap that could better uh, fit and uh, the best screw cap that he found. But the 2009 was the first vintage. We still have a 2010 Otto uh, in our library. And that was the one that actually uh, changed the really, you know, uh, our mind a few years after, you know, just tasting and retasting uh, Otto with the Stelvin uh, screw cap and Otto with cork. 
put on a side really we did in 2018 was the year when we decided we we, we were really we're really gonna take the direction of the skew cap we studied also you know to to battle Stafford and Montegande with the skew cap and uh, uh, because when we see that actually the just the auto was uh, the, the you know the aging the aging was uh, just uh, uh, consistent in all the battles and all the battles are still today 2010 auto showing great. So uh, on the other side, I have to say that generally the cork uh, issues that we are having, especially in these past years, are more and more be just because probably the the general quality of cork is. Uh, Less and less. Less and less you're finding. So it's not, uh, you know, I would have I would have thought to have heard you say that you're finding less problems with cork as opposed to uh, less, uh, less resistance to it. Mm, honestly, you know, we, we are really willing, you know, to, to, to pay as much as, you know, for, for cork just because we put so much effort in, you know, uh, to make the wine that then the cork, uh, and we make wine that we want, to, to age and, you know, to taste after uh, that has to be tasted from, you know, from California to Japan. And of course, you, the wine have to uh, travel and uh, at the same time, uh, you know, has to be tasted in within, you know, 5, 10, 15, maybe 20 years. So we are still, by the way, using uh, cork, uh, um, but... Uh, but honestly, we also some past vintages we we had some issues. Not not really cork taint. Sometimes it's just oxidation. Um, that uh, you know we see we we take you know ten bottles and one is perfect. One is uh, I'm talking about you know maybe fifteen years old bottles. One is perfect. One is good. The other one is I don't know not I mean oxidized. And uh, it's always a challenge. So we will still bring for the higher Soave, but the decision for the next year is, by the way, to um, to, to battle 100% auto with the skew cap. And probably Stafford will follow. Interesting, interesting. So we had, we had mentioned a few times, so you are, you are farming organically, and it's only been, so the reds have been certified organic for a while. It's just recent that the white vineyards have been certified, if, I, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Uh, that's correct, and this is because, uh, <laughs> I can tell you, because I, I, I um, one of my, Let's say one of the things I do in the winery is also taking care of the organic certification. So uh, Morandina, which is uh, our crew in Valpolicella, as you know, so is the area where we own, we own there eight hectares, uh, organic certified since the very beginning. So it was a virgin land that we plant the vineyards and uh, that soil never saw any chemical. Uh, no neighbors, easy, uh, top of 500 meters, so no problem with fungus. Very easy to do that. Uh, with Soave, we were already practicing organic, so avoiding herbicides, pesticides. The problem in Soave is, is that it is impossible to, you know, to own vineyards without neighbors, and uh, uh, especially the classical area of Soave. You know, we, you, you own parcels, but uh, maybe you own some, some large parcels, but uh, uh, it's more spread. So uh, it took more time for bureaucratic reason to start the, the conversion, uh, the official conversion, uh, just because uh, uh, with the neighbors, uh, we, we had uh, some, some, some issues because uh, still today, I mean, uh, the, most of the, the neighbors are not organic certified. So the, the, let's say that the solution we found is basically to uh, declassify part of the production of Garganega uh the part just next to our neighbors so in that uh, in that way we could solve the problem because once you take the decision to uh certify the garganega all the garganega that you make has to be by the way uh, farmed organically you cannot uh, you know take something off uh, so that's why we started a little bit later our vineyards are certified officially since uh, uh, 2019 if I'm not wrong. 
Yeah, I thought it was just in the last couple of years that you had the official certification. What is in uh, in that part of the world in Suave? What are some of the biggest areas of concern uh, in in terms of organic farming practices? Like, what uh, what have the, been some of the challenges you've experienced? What have been things that you expected, and you know, perhaps some uh, some challenges that uh, showed up that you weren't expecting at all. So the challenges are, uh, well, first of all, that the production, I mean, you have to be really, really good in farming. Uh, you need uh, a professional, uh, you need, um, and the, the, today the agronomy today is, uh, is, is an agronomy that uh, you have to plan in advance. So it's not like in the past, you know, when, uh, you, know, when uh, you see the problem, uh, you take the product and you solve the problem. Uh, now, when you see the problem, it's late. So you might lose the whole production. You might lose uh, 50%. You might lose. Uh... So especially now with the climate changing, you you're, we are having you know uh, milder winters, and this is uh, uh, for fungus. It is bad for uh, insects uh, because you you risk definitely to you risk uh, uh, to get more issues. Uh, what make it uh, possible for us uh, is, of course, it would be impossible, honestly, almost impossible to farm organic in the flatland. Uh, fortunately, well, first of all, our vineyards are all located on the hills of Suave, so that's make it uh, uh, possible. Um, and, uh, of course, you, again, you have to be very good. You, have to, you need to have uh, machineries, you need technology, you need an agronomy. Uh, um, and you need really to plan and to work uh, um, to anticipate uh, issues. Uh, so doing organic means uh, basically uh, that you avoid herbicides, you, you avoid uh, pesticides, and uh, you can do that uh, with uh, labor, uh, especially herbicides, because when the season starts, you have to be ready, you have to go in the vineyards, you have to cut the grass uh, very often. Then, of course, depends on you know, of the vintage depends on the summer, on spring, uh, how uh, much is going to rain or not. Then uh, for insects, uh, you also adopt some other technicals. So, um, uh, for example, uh, sexual inhibitors for insects or other practices that, uh, uh, you know, are, uh, are allowed and uh, in this way also by the way the technology and to be uh, professional helps and I think for the future uh, things are moving definitely for everyone in that direction and uh, of course bureaucracy is very complicated that's why also you know many times also for example the back label I mean we, we, got, we got the organic certification mainly for because we, we trust it and uh, and we think it's important, uh, but at the same time, uh, bureaucratically, it's difficult for all the markets to get you know the back label. Uh, some markets work in a way; some others have other regulations. So yeah, it's challenging. But uh, but uh, yeah, I think that today is more and more important, and uh, we are happy, by the way, also that we started also the official the official part of the organic certification. Yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic, uh, especially there. Now you had touched uh, a little bit earlier on the uh, UGAs, the Unita Geographica uh, Agentivas, and this was just the, I believe, it was the 2019 vintage. These were allowed, uh, which were right. uh, 30, 33 distinct zones that were uh, that were added. Now, how many? How did this? How has this impacted you in terms of what you're working on for the future? I know uh, some of the vineyards would have fallen in here. Uh, did you? Did Graziano have a role in the uh, development of these? Uh, is there anything? Are you working on anything to explore these further in the future with some new bottlings, perhaps? I mean, this is uh, it's interesting, uh, honestly. Um, uh, of course, Graziano started, I mean, uh, with the, some others, I mean, with the previous crews of Suave uh, back in the days with the Monte Grande is our single vineyard. And it's, uh, of course, a land that we know very well. Uh, uh, 33 uh, UGAs are probably a lot, uh, actually. 
but at the same time, is it something we, that we are exploring? Uh, because we uh, today we own uh, 37 hectares uh, in Suave, in Suave Classico. And uh, we are lucky that we own, by the way, uh, you know, uh, vineyards in six, uh, in five crews, actually, uh, five UGAs. And uh, so we are experiencing really the difference. We own uh, um, pretty large plots in uh, Ponsara, probably the main one, uh, Frosca, Foscarino. Uh, actually, we, we own mainly plots on the volcanic uh, on the volcanic side uh, of the Classico, and just one in the on the limestone soil that is Monte Bisson. Uh, and we are exploring it. We are studying the ground. We are bottling. Of course, we we keep when we uh, you know that uh, uh, all the Garganica that we produce is basically is blended, and uh, we we make the auto. Uh, we are also making since uh, three, four, five years um, um, separate vinifications, and uh, we are retasting the wines, uh, you know, from time to time. So it's it's uh, a new thing for us, I would say. So we we are excited. We are exploring this. We we think, by the way, Garganega has to be the grape, of course. So we. We are focusing on 100% Garganega uh, wines. And uh, let's see in the future, honestly. One of the ideas would be maybe to make like uh, a six-pack with the six different uh, crews, 100% uh, Garganega, Skewcap. Uh, that would be very exciting. It's not seen really something you will make a business on, but uh, it's uh, something that, you know, when you put them on a side and you give, uh, you know, also the customer that the chance of course this is more for specials for people that actually are really involved into wine but uh, uh, I think it's, uh, it's exciting and it's something that we will work uh, we will further work uh, in our future so let's say that our investment is in this direction but uh, definitely also in the back vintages and in uh, storing uh, more of the current vintages to be able in the future to provide uh, um, yes, old Suave that I think is uh, really can give you also people directly and straight away the uh, the idea of uh, you know how really Suave can be a great wine. Yeah, I think that's you know it's a and that's such a valid point. I think so, so many of us consume uh, Italian whites in their youth, and uh, but they all to, seem to have such tremendous aging capacity uh, that it'll be exciting to see that. And uh, I look forward to exploring some of your your work with the UGAs. You know, it's uh, I think it's important to note that you know the UGAs weren't uh, they're not a quality classification but really just a, a classification to denote the the many different soils uh, and what the what the different styles that are produced from these regions so i'm excited to to see your work on that and to see what you what you come up with for the future um i know we're getting we're getting close to the hour mark and uh, as you had said you're uh, we're past your dinner time so uh, i don't want to keep uh, i don't want to keep you too long uh, well, but uh, it's past my um dinner time as well so i am going to, i'm ready to close up the room this was extraordinary time slot but uh, thank, you so, thank you so much, Rob Miller and Diego uh, Coradi, for, for this lovely conversation. And I just want to remind everyone, next week we'll be back um, um, on our normal, regular time slot, which is 6 p.m., with Ma Shaham, um, your classmate from Canada, and with Lorenzo Marotti Campi. The week after that, we'll have Stefan Metzner with Clemens Lageda. And then the week after that, Julian Farker with Amanda Courtney. And then Ashley Howell with Pierluca Proietti of Ab Abianova. Then just want to take a quick um, shout out to Laika, our clubhouse manager, who's been doing wonderful work. And of course, Joy Livingston, our Italian wine podcast producer. So like I said, um, there are many of us here tonight, 
but um, the top listens, the top ambassador corners have more than 4,000 listens. So congrats to everyone. And this will again be replayed in on another date. I don't know what the programming is, but we'll get back to you with that. So thank you everybody for joining us. Ciao, Slaweg, Melissa, Lena, Kevin, Tusha, Fanny, Christina, Andrea, Andrea, Paul, Cynthia, Fermented Boss, Hugh Priest, Pablo, Elena, Noel, Julie, uh, and Matsi and Ingrid. Ciao, ragazzi. I'm closing up the room. Ciao. Buon appetito. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, chin-chin. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.